Chapter 7 of Bealby, A Holiday. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tracy Duckett. Bealby, A Holiday by H. G. Wells. Chapter 7. The Battle of Crayminster. Part 1. Bilby was beginning to realize that running away from one's situation and setting up for oneself is not so easy and simple a thing as it had appeared during those first days with the caravan. Three things he perceived had arisen to pursue him, two that followed in the daylight, the law and the tramp, and a third that came back at twilight, the terror of the darkness, and within there was a hollow faintness for the afternoon was far advanced and he was extremely hungry. He had dozed away the early afternoon in the weedy corner of a wood, but for his hunger I think he would have avoided Crayminster. Within a mile of that place he had come upon the missing notice again stuck to the end of a barn. He had passed it askance, and then with a sudden inspiration returned and tore it down. Somehow, with the daylight, his idea of turning King's evidence against the tramp had weakened. He no longer felt sure mustn't one wait and be asked first to turn king's evidence suppose they said he had merely confessed the crayminster street had a picturesque nutritious look halfway down it was the white heart with cyclist club signs on its walls and geraniums over a white porch and beyond a house being built and already at the roofing pitch to the right was a baker's shop diffusing a delicious suggestion of buns and cake and to the left a little comfortable sweet-stuff window and a glimpse of tables and a board teas tea he resolved to break into his ninepence boldly and generously very likely they would boil him an egg for a penny or so yet on the other hand if he just had three or four buns soft new buns he hovered towards the baker's shop and stopped short that bill was in the window he wheeled about sharply and went into the sweet stuff shop and found a table with a white cloth and a motherly little woman in a large cap tea he could have an egg and some thick bread and butter and a cup of tea for five pence he sat down respectfully to await her preparations but he was uneasy he knew quite well that she would ask him questions for that he was prepared he said he was walking from his home in london to Sumport to save the fare but you're so dirty said the motherly little woman i sent my luggage by post ma'am and i lost my way and didn't get it and i don't much mind ma'am if you don't not washing all that he thought he did quite neatly but he wished there was not that bell in the baker's window opposite and he wished he hadn't quite such a hunted feeling a faint claustrophobia affected him he felt the shop might be a trap. He would be glad to get into the open again. Was there a way out behind if, for example, a policeman blocked the door? He hovered to the entrance while his egg was boiling, and then when he saw a large fat baker surveying the world with an afternoon placidity upon his face, he went back and sat by the table. He wondered if the baker had noted him. He had finished his egg, he was drinking his tea with appreciative noises when he discovered that the baker had noted him bealby's eyes at first inanely open above the tilting teacup were suddenly riveted on something that was going on in the baker's window from where he sat he could see that detestable bill and then slowly feeling about for it he beheld a hand and a flowery sleeve 
the bill was drawn up and vanished and then behind a glass shelf of fancy bread and a glass shelf of buns something pink and indistinct began to move jerkily it was a human face and it was trying to peer into the little refreshment shop that sheltered bealby bealby's soul went faint he had one inadequate idea might i go out he said by your back way there isn't a back way said the motherly little woman there's a yard if i might said bilby and was out in it no way at all high walls on every side he was back like a shot in the shop and now the baker was halfway across the road five pence said bilby and gave the little old woman sixpence here she cried take your penny he did not wait he darted out of the door the baker was all over the way of escape he extended arms that seemed abnormally long and with a weak cry bilby found himself trapped trapped but not hopelessly he knew how to do it he had done it in milder forms before but now he did it with all his being under the diaphragm of the baker smote bilby's hard little head and instantly he was away running up the quiet sunny street man when he assumed the erect attitude made a hostage of his belly it is a proverb among the pastoral berbers of the atlas mountains that the man who extends his arms in front of an angry ram is a fool it seemed probable to bealby that he would get away up the street the baker was engaged in elaborately falling backward making the most of sitting down in the road and the wind had been knocked out of him so that he could not shout he emitted stop him in large whispers away ahead there were only three builders men sitting under the wall beyond the white heart consuming tea out of their tea cans but the boy who was trimming the top of the tall privy hedge outside the doctor's saw the assault of the baker and incontinently uttered the shout that the baker could not also he fell off his steps with great alacrity and started in pursuit of bealby a young man from anywhere perhaps the grocer's shop also started for bealby but the workmen were slow to rise to the occasion bilby could have got past them and then abruptly at the foot of the street ahead the tramp came into view a battered disconcerting figure his straw-coloured hat which had recently been wetted and dried in the sun was a swaying mop the sight of bilby seemed to rouse him from some disagreeable meditations he grasped the situation with a terrible quickness regardless of the wisdom of the pastoral berbers he extended his arms and stood prepared to intercept bilby thought at the rate of a hundred thoughts to the minute he darted sideways and was up the ladder and among the beams and rafters of the unfinished roof before the pursuit had more than begun here come off that cried the foreman builder only now joining in the hunt with any sincerity he came across the road while bilby regarded him wickedly from the rafters above then as the good man made to ascend bealby got him neatly on the hat it was a bowler hat with a tile this checked the advance there was a disposition to draw a little off and look up at bealby one of the younger builders from the opposite sidewalk got him very neatly in the ribs with a stone but two other shots went wide and bealby shifted to a more covered position behind the chimney stack from here however he had a much less effective command of the latter and he perceived that his tenure of the new house was not likely to be a long one below men parleyed who is he asked the foreman builder where'd he come from he's a brasted little thief said the tramp he's one of the worst characters on the road the baker was recovering his voice now 
there's a reward out for him, he said, and he butted me in the stomach. How much reward? asked the foreman builder. Five pound for the man who catches him. Here, cried the foreman builder in an arresting voice to the tramp. Just stand away from that ladder. Whatever else Bilby might or might not be, one thing was very clear about him, and that was that he was a fugitive, and the instinct of humanity is to pursue fugitives. Man is a hunting animal. Inquiry into the justice of a case is an altogether later accretion to his complex nature, and that is why, whatever you are or whatever you do, you should never let people get you on the run. There is a joy in the mere fact of hunting. The sight of a scarlet coat and a hound will brighten a whole village. And now Crayminster was rousing itself like a sleeper who wakes to sunshine and gay music. People were looking out of windows and coming out of shops. A policeman appeared and heard the baker's simple story, a brisk, hatless young man in a white apron and with a pencil behind his ear became prominent. Bealby, peeping over the ridge of the roof, looked a thoroughly dirty and unpleasant little creature to all these people. The only spark of human sympathy for him below was in the heart of the little old woman in the cap who had given him his breakfast. She surveyed the roof of the new house from the door of her shop. She hoped Bealby wouldn't hurt himself up there, and she held his penny change clutched in her hand in her apron pocket with a vague idea that perhaps presently, if he ran past, she could very quickly give it him. Part 2. Considerable delay in delivering the assault on the house was caused by the foreman's insistence that he alone should ascend the ladder to capture Bealby. He was one of those regular-featured men with large heads who seemed to have inflexible backbones. He was large and fair and full with a Swedish chest voice and in all his movements authoritative and deliberate. Whenever he made to ascend, he discovered that people were straying into his building, and he had to stop and direct his men how to order them off. Inside his large head, he was trying to arrange everybody to cut off Bilby's line of retreat without risking that anybody but himself should capture the fugitive. It was none too easy, and it knitted his brows. Meanwhile, Bilby was able to reconnoitre the adjacent properties and to conceive plans for a possible line of escape. He also got a few tiles handy against when the rush up the ladder came. At the same time, two of the younger workmen were investigating the possibility of getting at him from inside the house. There was still no staircase, but there were ways of clamouring. They had heard about the reward, and they knew that they must do this before the foreman realised their purpose, and this a little retarded them. In their pockets they had a number of stones, ammunition in reserve, if it came again to throwing. Bealby was no longer fatigued nor depressed. Anxiety for the future was lost in the excitement of the present, and his heart told him that, come what might, getting on to the roof was an extraordinarily good dodge and if only he could bring off a certain jump he had in mind, there were other dodges. In the village street, an informal assembly of leading citizens, a little recovered now from their first nervousness about flying tiles, discussed the problem of Bealby. There was Mumby, the draper and vegetarian, with the bass voice and the big black beard. He advocated the fire engine. He was one of the volunteer fire brigade and never so happy as when he was wearing his helmet. He had come out of his shop at the shouting, Shocks the butcher and his boy were also in the street. Shocks' yard, with its heap of manure and fodder, bounded the new house on the left. 
Rimmel the vet emerged from the billiard room of the White Hart, and with his head a little on one side was watching Bilby and replying attentively to the baker, who was asking him a number of questions that struck him as irrelevant. All the White Hart people were in the street. "'I suppose, Mr. Rimmel,' said the baker, "'there's a mort of dangerous things in a man's belly round about his stomach.' "'Tiles,' said Mr. Rimmel. "'Loose bricks. It wouldn't do if he started dropping those.' i was saying mr rimmel said the baker after a pause for digestion is a man likely to be injured badly by a blaw in his stomach mr rimmel stared at him for a moment with unresponsive eyes more likely to get you in the head he said and then here what's that fool of a carpenter going to do the tramp was hovering on the outskirts of the group of besiegers vindictive but dispirited he had been brought to from his fit and given a shilling by the old gentleman, but he was dreadfully wet between his shirt. He wore a shirt under three waistcoats and a coat, and his skin, because the old gentleman's method of revival had been to syringe him suddenly with cold water, it had made him weep with astonishment and misery. Now he saw no advantage in claiming Bilby publicly. His part, he felt, was rather a waiting one what he had to say to bilby could be best said without the assistance of a third person and he wanted to understand more of this talk about a reward if there was a reward out for bilby that's not a bad dodge said Rimmel, changing his opinion of the foreman suddenly as that individual began his ascent of the ladder with a bricklayer's hod carried shieldwise above his head he went up with difficulty and slowly because of the extreme care he took to keep his head protected but no tiles came bilby had discovered a more dangerous attack developing inside the house and was already in retreat down the other side of the building he did a leap that might have hurt him badly taking off from the corner of the house and jumping a good twelve feet on to a big heap of straw in the butcher's yard he came down on all fours and felt a little jarred for an instant and then he was up again and had scrambled up by a heap of manure to the top of the butcher's wall he was over that and into McCollum's yard next door before anyone in the front of the new house had realized that he was in flight. Then one of the two workmen who had been coming up inside the house saw him from the oblong opening that was some day to be the upstairs bedroom window and gave tongue. It was thirty seconds later and after Bealby had vanished from the butcher's wall that the foreman, still clinging to his hod, appeared over the ridge of the roof at the workman's shout the policeman who with the preventive disposition of his profession had hitherto been stopping any one from coming into the unfinished house turned about and ran into its brick and plaster and timber littered backyard whereupon the crowd in the street realizing that the quarry had gone away and no longer restrained came pouring partly through the house and partly round through the butcher's gate into his yard bealby had had a check he had relied upon the tarred felt roof of the mushroom shed of McCollum, the tailor and breeches-maker to get him to the wall that gave upon mr benshaw's strawberry fields and he had not seen from his roof above the ramshackle glazed outhouse which McCollum called his workroom and in which four industrious tailors were working in an easy dishabille the roof of the shed was the merest tarred touchwood it had perished as felt long ago it collapsed under bealby he went down into a confusion of mushrooms and mushroom bed he blundered out trailing mushrooms and spawn and rich matter he had a nine-foot wall to negotiate and only escaped by a hair's breadth from the clutch of a little red-slippered man who came dashing out from the workroom but by a happy use of the top of the dustbin he did just get away over the wall in time and the red-slippered tailor who was not good at walls 
was left struggling to imitate an ascent that had looked easy enough until he came to try it for a moment the little tailor struggled alone and then both mccullum's little domain and the butcher's yard next door and the little patch of space behind the new house were violently injected with a crowd of active people all confusedly on the bilby trail someone he never knew who gave the little tailor a leg up and then his red slippers twinkled over the wall and he was leading the hunt into the market gardens of mr benshaw a collarless colleague in list slippers and conspicuous braces followed the policeman after he had completed the wreck of mr mccullum's mushroom shed came next and then mr mccullum with no sense of times and seasons anxious to have a discussion at once upon the question of this damage mr mccullum was out of breath and he never got further with this projected conversation than here this he repeated several times as opportunity seemed to offer the remaining tailors got to the top of the wall more sedately with the help of the mccullum kitchen steps and dropped mr shocks followed breathing hard and then a fresh jet of humanity came squirting into the gardens through a gap in the fence at the back of the building site this was led by the young workman who had first seen bilby go away hard behind him came ramel the vet the grocer's assistant the doctor's page boy and less briskly the baker then the tramp then mumby and shocks boy then a number of other people the seeking of bilby had assumed the dimensions of a hue and cry the foreman with the large head and the upright back was still on the new roof he was greatly distressed at the turn things had taken and shouted his claims to a major share in the capture of bilby mixed with his opinions of bilby and a good deal of mere swearing to a sunny but unsympathetic sky part three mr benshaw was a small holder a sturdy english yeoman of the new school he was an anti-socialist a self-helper an independent spirited man he had a steadily growing banking account and a plain but sterile wife and he was dark in complexion and so erect in his bearing as to seem a little to lean forward usually he wore a sort of grey gamekeeper's suit with brown gaiters except on sundays when the coat was black he was addicted to bowler hats that accorded ill with his large grave grey-coloured face and he was altogether a very sound strong man his bowler hats did but accentuate that he had no time for vanities even the vanity of dressing consistently he went into the nearest shop and just bought the cheapest hat he could and so he got hats designed for the youthful and giddy hats with flighty crowns and flippant bows and amorous brims that undulated attractively to set off flushed and foolish young faces it made his unrelenting face look rather like the puritans under the stuart monarchy he was a horticulturist rather than a farmer he had begun his career in cheap lodgings with a field of early potatoes and cabbages supplemented by employment but with increased prosperity his area of cultivation had extended and his methods intensified he now grew considerable quantities of strawberries raspberries celery sea-kale asparagus early peas late peas and onions and consumed more stable manure than any other cultivator within ten miles of craminster he was beginning to send cut flowers to london he had half an acre of glass and he was rapidly extending it he had built himself a cottage on lines of austere economy and a bony-looking dwelling-house for some of his men he also owned a number of useful sheds of which tar and corrugated iron were conspicuous features his home was furnished with the utmost respectability and notably joyless even in a countryside where gaiety is regarded as an impossible quality in furniture he was already in a small local way a mortgagee 
good fortune had not turned the head of mr benshaw nor robbed him of the feeling that he was a particularly deserving person entitled to a preferential treatment from a country which in his plain unsparing way he felt that he enriched in many ways he thought that the country was careless of his needs and in none more careless than in the laws relating to trespass across his dominions ran three footpaths and one of these led to the public elementary school that he should have to maintain this ladder and if he did not keep it in good order the children spread out and made parallel tracks among his cultivations seemed to him a thing almost intolerably unjust he mended it with cinders acetylene refuse which he believed and hoped to be thoroughly bad for boots and a particularly slimy chalky clay and he put on a board at each end keep to the footpaths trespassers will be prosecuted by order which he painted himself to save expense when he was confined indoors by the influenza still more unjust it would be he felt for him to spend money upon effective fencing and he could find no fencing cheap enough and ugly enough and painful enough and impossible enough to express his feelings in the matter every day the children streamed to and fro marking how his fruits ripened and his produce became more esculent and other people pursued these tracks many mr benshaw was convinced went to and fro through his orderly crops who had no business whatever no honest business to pass that way either he concluded they did it to annoy him or they did it to injure him this continual invasion aroused in mr benshaw all that stern anger against unrighteousness latent in our race which more than any other single force has made america and the empire what they are to-day once already he had been robbed arrayed upon his raspberries and he felt convinced that at any time he might be robbed again he had made representations to the local authority to get the footpath closed but in vain they defended themselves with the paltry excuse that the children would then have to go nearly a mile round to the school it was not only the tyranny of these footpaths that offended mr benshaw's highly developed sense of individual liberty all round his rather straggling dominions his neighbours displayed an ungenerous indisposition to maintain their fences to his satisfaction in one or two places in abandonment of his clear rights in the matter he had at his own expense supplemented these lax defences with light barbed wire defences but it was not a very satisfactory sort of barbed wire he wanted barbed wire with extra spurs like a fighting cock he wanted barbed wire that would start out after nightfall and attack passers-by this boundary trouble was universal in a way it was worse than the footpaths which after all only affected the cage fields where his strawberries grew except for the yard and garden walls of mccullum and shocks and that side there was not really a satisfactory foot of enclosure all round mr benshaw on the one side rats and people's dogs and scratching cats came in on the other side rabbits the rabbits were intolerable and recently there had been a rise of nearly thirty per cent in the price of wire netting mr benshaw wanted to hurt rabbits he did not want simply to kill them he wanted so to kill them as to put the fear of death into the burrows he wanted to kill them so that scared little furry survivors with their tails as white as ghosts would go lolloping home and say i say you chaps we'd better shift out of this we're up against a strong determined man i have made this lengthy statement of mr benshaw's economic and moral difficulties in order that the reader should understand the peculiar tension that already existed upon this side of Crayminster, it has been necessary to do so now because in a few seconds there will be no further opportunity for such preparations 
there had been trouble i may add very hastily about the shooting of mr benshaw's gun a shower of small shot had fallen out of the twilight upon the umbrella and basket of old mrs frobisher and only a week ago an unsympathetic bench after a hearing of over an hour and in the face of overwhelming evidence had refused to convict little lucy mumby aged eleven of stealing fruit from mr benshaw's fields she had been caught red-handed at the very moment that bilby was butting the baker in the stomach mr benshaw was just emerging from his austere cottage after a wholesome but inexpensive high tea in which he had finished up two leftover cold sausages and he was considering very deeply the financial side of a furious black fence that he had at last decided should pen in the school-children from further depredations it should be of splintery tarred deal and high with well-pointed tops studded with sharp nails and he believed that by making the path only two feet wide a real saving of ground for cultivation might be made and a very considerable discomfort for the public arranged to compensate for his initial expense the thought of a narrow lane which would in winter be characterized by an excessive slimness and from which there would be no lateral escape was pleasing to a mind by no means absolutely restricted to considerations of pounds shillings and pence in his hand after his custom he carried a hoe on the handle of which feet were marked so that it was available not only for destroying the casual weed but also for purposes of measurement with this he now checked his estimate and found that here he would reclaim as much as three feet of trodden waste here a full two absorbed in these calculations he heeded little the growth of a certain clamour from the backs of the houses bordering on the high street it did not appear to concern him and mr benshaw made it almost ostentatiously his rule to mind his own business his eyes remained fixed on the lumpy dusty sun-baked track that with an intelligent foresight he saw already transformed into a deterrent slew of despond for the young then quite suddenly the shouting took on a new note he glanced over his shoulder almost involuntarily and discovered that after all this uproar was his business amazingly his business his mouth assumed a cromwellian fierceness his grip tightened on his hoe that any one should dare but it was impossible his dominions were being invaded with a peculiar boldness and violence ahead of every one else and running with wild wavings of the arms across his strawberries was a small and very dirty little boy he impressed mr benshaw merely as a pioneer some thirty yards behind him was a little collarless short-sleeved man in red slippers running with great effrontery and behind him another still more denuded lunatic also in list slippers and with braces braces of inconceivable levity and then wiggs the policeman hotly followed by mr mccullum then more distraught tailors and shocks the butcher but a louder shout heralded the main attack and mr benshaw turned his eyes already they were slightly bloodshot eyes to the right and saw pouring through the broken hedge a disorderly crowd ramel whom he had counted his friend the grocer's assistant the doctor's boy some strangers mumby at the sight of mumby mr benshaw leapt at the conclusion he saw it all the whole place was rising against him they were asserting some infernal new right of way mumby mumby had got them to do it all the fruits of fifteen years of toil all the care and accumulation of mr benshaw's prime were to be trampled and torn to please a draper's spite sturdy yeoman as mr benshaw was he resolved instantly to fight for his liberties 
One moment he paused to blow the powerful police whistle he carried in his pocket and then rushed forward in the direction of the hated Mumby, the leader of trespassers, the parent and a better and defender of the criminal Lucy. He took the hurrying, panting man almost unawares and with one wild sweep of the hoe felled him to the earth. Then he staggered about and smote again, but not quite in time to get the head of Mr. Rommel. This whistle he carried was part of a systematic campaign he had developed against trespassers and fruit-stealers. He and each of his assistants carried one, and at the first shrill note, it was his rule, everyone seized on every weapon that was handy and ran to pursue and capture. All his assistants were extraordinarily prompt in responding to these alarms, which were often the only break in long days of strenuous and strenuously directed toil. So now, with an astonishing promptitude and animated faces, men appeared from sheds and greenhouses and distant patches of culture, hastening to the assistance of their dour employer. It says much for the amiable relations that existed between employers and employed in those days before syndicalism became the creed of the younger workers that they did hurry to his assistance. But many rapid things were to happen before they came into action. For first, a strange excitement seized upon the tramp. A fantastic, delusive sense of social rehabilitation took possession of his soul. Here he was pitted against a formidable, whole-wielding man who for some inscrutable reason was resolved to cover the retreat of Bilby. And all the world, it seemed, was with the tramp and against this whole-wielder. All the tremendous forces of human society against which the tramp had struggled for so many years, whose power he knew and feared as only the outlaw can, had suddenly come into line with him. Across the strawberries to the right there was even a policeman hastening to join the majority, a policeman closely followed by a tradesman of the blackest, most respectable quality. The tramp had a vision of himself as a respectable man heroically leading respectable people against outcasts. He dashed the lank hair from his eyes, waved his arms laterally, and then with a loud strange cry flung himself towards Mr. Benshaw. Two pairs of superimposed coattails flapped behind him, and then the hoe whistled through the air and the tramp fell to the ground like a sack. But now Shock's boy had grasped his opportunity. He had been working discreetly round behind Mr. Benshaw, and as the hoe smote, he leapt upon that hero's back and seized him about the neck with both arms and bore him staggering to the ground. And Rimmel, equally quick and used to the tackling of formidable creatures, had snatched and twisted away the hoe and grappled Mr. Benshaw almost before he was down. The first of Mr. Benshaw's helpers to reach the fray found the issue decided. His master held down conclusively and a growing circle trampling down a wide area of strawberry plants about the panting group. Mr. Mumby, more frightened than hurt, was already sitting up, but the tramp, with a glowing wound upon his cheekbone and an expression of astonishment in his face, lay low and pawed the earth. "'What do you mean?' gasped Mr. Rymel, "'hitting people about with that hoe.' "'What do you mean?' groaned Mr. Benshaw. "'Running across my strawberries. We were going after that boy. Pounds and pounds worth of damage.' mischief and wickedness mumby mr rymel suddenly realizing the true values of the situation released mr benshaw's hands and knelt up look here mr benshaw he said you seem to be under the impression we are trespassing mr benshaw struggling into a sitting position was understood to inquire with some heat what mr rymel called it shock's boy picked up the hat with the erotic brim and handed it to the horticulturist silently and respectfully 
We were not trespassing, said Mr. Rymel. We were following up that boy. He was trespassing, if you like. By the by, where is the boy? Has anyone caught him? At the question, attention which had been focused upon Mr. Benshaw and his hoe came round. Across the field, in the direction of the sunlit half-acre of glass, the little tailor was visible, standing gingerly and picking up his red slippers for the third time. They would come off in that loose, good soil. Everybody else had left the trail to concentrate on Mr. Benshaw and Bealby. Bealby was out of sight. He had escaped. Clean got away. What boy? asked Mr. Benshaw. Ferocious little beast who's fought us like a rat. Been committing all sorts of crimes about the country. Five pounds reward for him. Fruit stealing? asked Mr. Benshaw. Yes, said Mr. Rymel, chancing it. Mr. Benshaw reflected slowly. His eyes surveyed his trampled crops. Good Lord, he cried. Look at those strawberries. His voice gathered violence. And that lout there, he said. Why, he's lying on them. That's the brute who went for me. You got him a pretty tidy one side the head, said McCollum. The tramp rolled over on some fresh strawberries and groaned pitifully. He's hurt, said Mr. Mumby. The tramp flopped and lay still. Get some water, said Ramel, standing up. At the word water, the tramp started convulsively, rolled over, and sat up with a dazed expression. No water, he said weakly. No more water. And then catching Mr. Benshaw's eye, he got rather quickly to his feet. Everybody who wasn't already standing was getting up, and everyone now was rather carefully getting himself off any strawberry plant he had chanced to find himself smashing in the excitement of the occasion. That's the man that started in on me, said Mr. Benshaw. What's he doing here? Who is he? Who are you, my man? What business have you to be careering over this field? asked Mr. Ramel. I was only helping, said the tramp. Nice help, said Mr. Benshaw. I thought that boy was a thief or something. And so you made a rush at me? I didn't exactly, sir. I thought you was helping him. You be off anyhow, said Mr. Benshaw. Whatever you thought. Yes, you be off, said Mr. Ramel. That's the way, my man, said Mr. Benshaw. We haven't any jobs for you. The sooner we have you out of it, the better for everyone. Get right on to the path and keep it. And with a desolating sense of exclusion, the tramp withdrew. There's pounds and pounds worth of damage here, said Mr. Benshaw. This jaw will cost me a pretty penny. Look at them berries there. Why, they ain't fit for jam. And all done by one confounded boy. An evil light came into Mr. Benshaw's eyes. You leave em to me and my chaps. If he's gone up among those sheds there, we'll settle with him. Anyhow, there's no reason why my fruit should be trampled worse than it has been. Fruit stealer, you say he is? They live on the country this time of year, said Mr. Mumby. And catch them doing a day's work picking, said Mr. Benshaw. I know the sort. There's a reward of five pounds for him already, said the baker. Part 4 you perceive how humanitarian motives may sometimes defeat their own end, and how little Lady Laxton's well-intentioned handbills were serving to rescue Bilby. Instead, they were turning him into a scared and hunted animal. 
in spite of its manifest impossibility he was convinced that the reward and this pursuit had to do with his burglary of the poultry farm and that his capture would be but the preliminary to prison trial and sentence his one remaining idea was to get away but his escape across the market gardens had left him so blown and spent that he was obliged to hide up for a time in this perilous neighbourhood before going on he saw a disused-looking shed in the lowest corner of the gardens behind the greenhouses and by doubling sharply along a hedge he got to it unseen it was not disused nothing in mr benshaw's possession ever was absolutely disused but it was filled with horticultural lumber with old calcium carbide tins with broken wheelbarrows and damaged ladders awaiting repair with some ragged wheeling planks and surplus rolls of roofing felt at the back were some unhinged shed doors leaning against the wall and between them bill betucked himself neatly and became still glad of any respite from the chase he would wait for twilight and then get away across the meadows at the back and then go he didn't know whither and now he had no confidence in the wild world any more a qualm of homesickness for the compact little gardener's cottage at Shantz came to Bilby. Why, as a matter of fact, wasn't he there now? He ought to have tried more at Shantz. He ought to have minded what they told him and not have taken up a toasting fork against Thomas. Then he wouldn't now have been a hunted burglar with a reward of five pounds on his head and nothing in his pocket but threepence and a pack of greasy playing cards, a box of sulphur matches and various objectionable sundries, none of which were properly his own if only he could have his time over again such wholesome reflections occupied his thoughts until the onset of the dusk stirred him to departure he crept out of his hiding-place and stretched his limbs which had got very stiff and was on the point of reconnoitering from the door of the shed when he became aware of stealthy footsteps outside with the quickness of an animal he shot back into his hiding-place the footsteps had halted for a long time it seemed the unseen waited listening had he heard bilby then someone fumbled with the door of the shed it opened and there was a long pause of cautious inspection then the unknown had shuffled into the shed and sat down on a heap of matting gah said a voice the tramps if i ever struck a left-handed mascot it was that boy said the tramp the little swine for the better part of two minutes he went on from this mild beginning to a descriptive elaboration of bilby for the first time in his life bilby learned how unfavourable was the impression he might leave on a fellow-creature's mind took even my matches cried the tramp and tried this statement over with variations first that old fool with his syringe the tramp's voice rose in angry protest here's a chap dying epilepsy on your doorstep and all you can do is to squirt cold water at him cold water why you might kill a man doing that and then say you'd thought it bring him rand bring him rand you be jolly glad i didn't stash your silly face in you misbegotten old fool what's a shilling for wetting a man to his skin wet through i was running inside my shirt dripping and then the blooming boy clears i don't know what boys are coming to cried the tramp these board schools it is gets old of everything he can and bunks gah if i get my hands on him i'll show him i'll for some time the tramp reveled in the details for the most part crudely surgical of his vengeance upon bealby then there's that dog bite how do i know how that's going to turn at if i get hydrophobia 
explode if I don't bite some of them. Hydrophobia, screaming and foaming. Nice death for a man. My time of life. Bark, I shall. Bark and bite. And this is your world, said the tramp. This is the world you put people into and expect them to be happy. I'd like to bite that dough-faced fool with the silly hat. I'd enjoy biting him. I'd spit it out, but I'd bite it right enough. Wiping a bat with his, ah, gah. Get off my ground. Be arf with you. Slash. He ought to be shut up. Where's the justice of it? Shouted the tramp. Where's the right and the sense of it? What have I done that I should always get the underside? Why should I be stuck on the underside of everything? There's worse men than me in all sorts of positions. Judges there are. Horrible correctors, ministers and people. I've read about them in the papers. It's we tramps are the scapegoats. Somebody's got to suffer so as the police can show a face. Gah! Some of these days I'll do something. I'll do something. You'll drive me too far with it, I tell you. He stopped suddenly and listened. Bealby had creaked. Gah! What can one do? said the tramp after a long interval. And then complaining more gently, the tramp began to feel about to make his simple preparations for the night. Unt me out of this, I expect, said the tramp. And many sleeping in feather beds that ain't fit to hold a candle to me. Not a ordinary farthing candle. End of section 11